House of the Dragon, Season 1, Episode 3, second of his name. We're a little late getting this out this week. Believe it or not, podcasting about House of the Dragon does not pay the bills. (laughs) (laughs) So... Don't quit your day job. <laughs> so we do have real jobs. Uh, <laughs> and two tiny humans that may depend on us at least a little bit. <laughs> all right. So the episode is bookended by two action scenes. Um, I guess we'll do it, do it in order. So the opening scene is the Valerian sigil burning on the step zones. We don't know at this point that the battle's not going well, but we do see a guy who's going to get eaten by the crabs and we get a, a dragon flying overhead so the guy's like oh the snee snake is gonna gonna kill you and then damon shows up and my lord my lord and then he gets stepped on <laughs> well and if you did want some symbolism about things not going well i wouldn't have a burning sigil <laughs> so yeah this show is really um using visuals to tell us the story which is good i guess um i like it yeah the guy getting stepped on, it's just classic kind of Game of Thrones. I, it was funny, but it's also like just kind of unnecessarily cruel or whatever. But I, I agree. And, and that is classic Game of Thrones. But in a way, I think it kind of just shows how insignificant we all are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just kind of sad because this guy gets tortured and he's like, I will get rescued. He legit believes he's going to. You know, it gets stomped on like it's Jurassic Park. So I did like this opening action scene quite a bit, at least better than the second one. Um, you know, Damon's going in there with the dragon. It's looking good. It's looking very blood and fire, Targaryen, <clears throat> everything like that. But then those fire arrows start coming, and we see that these guys have a strategy, and they've been gotten accustomed to fighting against this dragon. I think <clears throat> this also does illustrate with that one scene with the <laughs> the guy that we were just talking about. There is a lot of collateral damage when you fight with dragons. These are really big, unpredictable weapons that aren't you can't wield them easily. Right, yeah. It's not like Damon was being cruel by stepping on the guy or something. You just don't know. You got this But even with the flame, like all everything yeah. about the dragon in, in terms of a weapon, it's Right. He's firing not indiscriminately, but he's you know, there's probably plenty of Valarian sailors getting blasted right then. Yeah. But yeah, so the, the flaming arrows come. I thought this looked pretty good. The dragon like blocked some of them with his wings, which was cool. But then when Damon gets hit, the dragon reacts. So we see some kind of further proof of some kind of mental connection or whatever. But the dragon seemed to me to scream out in pain when Damon was hit in the shoulder with the arrow. So it's funny because it may have appeared that way here. And this was actually like, I'll bring it up later. But it completely does not happen. And the absence was noted to me at the end of the episode. Well, maybe it's because he was riding him or something and they were in close proximity. Okay. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how dragons work. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it did show that. So however we interpret it, that definitely happened. So. I did think it was pretty cool to see the dragon spewing fire like this again. Like I know it's we're, we're seeing them in these episodes here, but it just reminded me kind of how cool it was when we were first seeing them with Game of Thrones. and. Yeah, and as we talked about before, one of the advantages of this show is that we already understand the universe for people who watch Game of Thrones, which I assume is almost everybody watching this. So we don't have to build up to all the dragons for us to wonder how powerful they are or whatever. We already know and they're putting them to use early. So, yeah, that's nice. All right, anything more to see about that action scene? Not much happened except that Damon had to retreat. 
because these guys were shooting them. Yeah, which was interesting because, again, like it, it just shows that maybe for those of us who think that dragons are these all mighty, always win and come out on top uh, weapons, and um, if you have a part of your battle plan that, in fact, that's not the case. Right, and it could just be in this universe, dragons are actually known to the people, so they've already baked it into their equations. You know, we were thinking of Danny's universe where nobody's seen a dragon in however many years, right. so they're just not equipped to fight them. But yeah, this could be a totally different story because they, they've been around and there's been no break from them and there's a lot of them. So right after this, though, we do see Otto standing next to his brother, who's head of the Hightower house, and they're just talking about how hey, he's made it to his second name day. So a lot of kids die very young in this day and age. And so the fact that, uh, um, that Aegon has made it to two, that the elder Hightower is kind of like, all right, looks like we we have our next heir. And he's kind of telling Otto. And then Otto's like, I don't think the king sees it that way. And then the older brother is like, well, basically help him see it that yeah. way. So he's getting pressure. But we see, though, that it's not always... Um, the origin of Otto's puppeteering is not always within him. He is someone else's puppet to a certain extent. Right. To me, he seemed a little bit annoyed with his brother. Maybe he just doesn't like the pressure, even though he agrees that it has to be done or whatever. But he, he was... You're right. It's, it's not just Otto that's masterminding all these plans and thoughts. The pressure comes from a lot of places, and he talks about it later. It, it's not like he's the only one or the Hightower is the only one that thinks it's time for this to be named the heir. This is a big theme of the episode. Right. And then Damon's war and the Stepstones come up and, you know, Otto tells the king that it looks weak if they help, if they send help or whatever. I don't think it would look weak. This is probably just Otto who doesn't want Damon to be helped. Yeah, I, I think Otto wants Damon as far away from the crown or anything. And, and you know, there's a closeness between Damon and his brother. And I think that's always a threat to, to Otto or at least his the ends that he's trying to achieve. I agree. I don't think it would look weak. I think it would look weaker if they lost at this right. point, even if he didn't sanction the, the fighting. Right. Even if they went off half cock, it's still his brother. It's still Targaryen. It's still a guy with dragons or a, a dragon. And we know that there's another one there. So it's like it's, they just lose face if they lose the battle. But I mean, you need your richest houses to be rich. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He can't take the loss of the Valerians and his brother. It's yeah. It, it just seems like Otto. Uh, trying to get what he wants. Viserys doesn't really care about all that right now. He's just trying to find Rhaenyra, and he can't find her. <laughs> can't remember what he says, but seven hells, where is Rhaenyra? Says something along those lines. <laughs> but, so I think this is, you know, this leads into where we do find Rhaenyra is listening to the same song over and over again, like a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> but she's got some poor guy who's got to sing it and play it over and over again. Well, um, and I was trying to catch what the lyrics were and it, it does sound like some queen trying to save her people it's numeria it's about numeria for sure oh okay she's the the one who started dorn and she had her thousand ships and she was pursued for blah 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 blah. this whole big story numeria is uh that's uh, what aria named her wolf right her dire wolf numeria is empowering to the female characters of this universe i think Queen Alessandra shows up and is trying to be diplomatic and Renera wants the singer to keep singing and then the queen pulls her trump card and tells the singer to buzz off. I agree with Rhaenyra. She she says this uh, later. She's not wrong when she's like, no one's here for me. For, right. On the, she, yeah, she says in the carriage On the later. birthday tour. But you, you can see how 
Like, she's already not even a part of any of these festivities, and the only one who's really noticing she's not there is her dad. I think, I mean, it'll come up a few times throughout the episode. She's pretty, um, uh, she's pretty childish in this episode. Petulant? Yeah. She, um, especially the second time through, I noticed it more. Like, the first time, you're kind of like, I was kind of trying to identify with her, and I'm like, well, blah, blah, blah. But then the second time, I was like, yeah, she's just kind of being, like, she wants to be by herself, and she wants to, like, Do you know who also acts a bit petulant? Um, well, Damon. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Which makes you wonder a little bit, though, how people get molded into this with slight after slight after slight. And I think there's a couple different approaches, and this is one. And I think the other one is Otto Hightower, is that you just get really, or Littlefinger, um, where you, you use your brains, and, and it varies, also fits this. Uh, Tyrion fits this. But... There's, there's different approaches, but I, you know, I agree with you. There is that element of the lack of maturity, but I also think that like, this is one day, but this is every day for Rhaenyra for the last two years, ever since that little boy was born. I, I think that's why we had the scene last episode with Rainey's telling her that she now knows probably what's up and then actually literally sees it and doesn't see her dad really reinforce or defend it and it sounds like her dad's head has been in the clouds all this time because it's not until now that they have that conversation of you are still my heir but it's been two years of this so i don't blame her for being a bit disillusioned by everything and she's acting out she is (laughs) still a teenager we keep saying two years we were saying that in our short podcast too but it's more like three years at least oh yeah sorry because because aegon's only two years old but at least from this because She's mad about, you know, them getting married and doing all of that. But nothing changed in the realm until he had a second or a firstborn son, which is two years ago. Well, also, this is a universe where power is arbitrary, right? So it's not like, for the most part, you move up in the in the world because of merits or because of some special knowledge you have or whatever. Like, there, there's some of that. But basically, for all these Targaryens, it's just what Viserys says. And for everyone in the small council, it's what Viserys says. So it's, they sulk and they got to play all these games and stuff like that because there's no other system of bettering yourself. So yeah, so Queen Alicent, who's trying to be kind here and trying to be diplomatic, but she ultimately trumps on the singer and then also says that the king ordered Rhaenyra to, to join them, which I don't know if he did actually order it or not, but that's what she said. So then they're just on the, um, in the carriage ride. That's where she says, there's no one's here for me. They're there to see Aegon and his birthday tour. And Viserys is trying to connect here, but it might be just too late, bad timing or whatever. He's trying to connect on the he, birthday he's tour. He's a bit aloof. Like, I mean, and we, we see this twice in a short period of time in the episode. First, when the the one Lannister twin who I believe replaced Corlys is trying to tell him about, you know, the war and how they're, what the battles and how they're not going. I don't know what it's referred to of... We'll just say the, the war and the stepstones. The, okay, yeah, the, um, but uh, the stepstone conflict. And he keeps trying to talk to him, and other people are kind of saying stuff, and all that Viserys cares about is where Rhaenyra is, and he just wants to enjoy the party. And then here, he's kind of just chit-chatting like everything's fine. There's some aloofness here. Like, there, there's there's some serious stuff going on that he's just choosing not to deal with he, he's being pretty avoidant this is the first time that he reminds her of her duties and that you know is going to come up later of course but he is hinting that she's coming of age and nobody's above tradition and duty 
But then they get out of the carriage and there's chairs for Aegon's for Aegon. We don't know if Rhaenyra got this when she was two, but he does later refer to her as the realm's delight. Mm-hmm. And in the book, that is what she was called by the people from when she was born. And in the book, Viserys is much more doting. Like we don't get this mm-hmm. as, as much of this conflict when she's a child. Yeah, he's basically just loves his daughter and she's called the realm's delight from the beginning, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe she had this kind of two-year-old birthday party, but at least in the show, we are definitely getting the impression that she did not. And that Aegon is considered much more special than her. All this setup and this celebration of Aegon's birthday and everything definitely reminded me of the Renaissance Festival. <laughs> it was like much more elaborate than what we saw in Game of Thrones for this kind of thing. It was like, um, you know, tents everywhere, people in a good mood, food everywhere and, and everything like that. So I thought it looked good and like kind of fun, I guess. <laughs> I remember it being said, I believe it was in Game of Thrones or like somewhere, like sometimes it's hard to remember what was the books or the show, but a lot of times the people really need things like this because it's really pretty much a boring day-to-day existence for the vast majority of them. And these sorts of events, the tourneys, celebrations, um, parade routes, sometimes that the royalty does when they, you know, do a tour. I think it gives a lot of meaning and an extra oomph and excitement to the realm. So um, I think it kind of breaks up that that, that <laughs> tedious day to day. But please note who's not there. There's no poor people there. Yeah, no, what you say is true. In the beginning of Game of Thrones, when they go to King's or to uh, Winterfell, it's like the first time a king has visited Winterfell in yeah. a very long time. <clears throat> and then in A Dance with Dragons, when Stannis is trying to recruit warriors in, in the north... They basically, these people have never been visited by a king. So him actually showing up and talking to them is like all the motivation they need. Mm -hmm. And then we get our first, (laughs) this is before Jason Lannister talks to Rhaenyra's, but... um, Rhaenyra. Rhaenyra. But you see Jason Lannister and then you see Viserys already looking at him. like (laughs) We, because we talked about it in the first podcast and when we, uh, for this episode, and then when we watched it again, it was even that much more hilarious because I caught even more. Yeah. And... Why I like it, I mean, again, it, it, it's the actor is that good, but uh, he's not like that with everybody else all the time, which means we're getting this specifically with the guy whose pride has pride. Right. <laughs> and what's funny is that Renera is interpreting everything that happens as Viserys trying to pawn her off to Jason Lannister. And I understand why she thinks that, but you can see by his reaction, even before they have that discussion that we'll talk about later, where he gives, a, gives the spear... Viserys already doesn't like it. He doesn't like him. He doesn't like this. But it's, yeah, she's of an age where he has to start considering marriage for alliance. And Jason is strong or the Lannisters are strong. Speaking of strong, we meet Larry Strong, the clubfoot. He joins the women who are talking. My first thought is, oh, he's there to spy. He's there to get the gossip. What a great way to kind of sneak in and get that. But I don't, I just feel like, especially in that time, that that's a very emasculating thing to do. I also believe it's information gathering. Which it is. So just in here, you can already see lines and opinions and like people reveal themselves just in a different way. And uh, one thing I I appreciated about this scene was Hylson did defend Rhaenyra as being chosen as heir and says that she's she was better suited than Damon. So the fact that she even said anything at all is showing that she still carries support for Rhaenyra as heir. 
I don't know what to call her. Miss Redwine mm-hmm. is getting a Lady little, little attitude-y. And uh, Renera comes in and she starts like giving Renera shit and Renera gives it right back. <laughs> Renera doesn't take shit. Yeah. yeah. That's one thing that we see here of <laughs> Lady Redwine was talking about the king and the war and basically saying he's not doing his job very well right now and it's going to all hurt us. Um, and is criticizing him. Renera puts her in her place. Yeah. What'd she say? Like, what have you done for the realm lately? Eat cakes mm-hmm. or something? But Redwine does have a good point. She says that the realm is at war, just your father refuses to acknowledge it. So mm-hmm. Something to that effect. Which the whole thing that we saw last episode of, you know, what do you do to try and prevent war? And he didn't. Yeah. It's already here. And then Renera leaves. She's walking around, like you said, by herself. I, I assume that Kristen Cole is behind her somewhere, but we don't see in this particular scene where she walks off outside by herself. So I... I think it's contrasting her experience with Aegon's experience and why people are there, you know, which is what she said. <clears throat> but this is when Jason decides to approach her. And, yeah, he just... Um, <laughs> so... Uh, this uh, same actor who's playing these, these two characters, he plays them very differently. When he plays the second son who's on the council, he's much more withdrawn, quiet, reserved, like completely different presentations. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the right word to describe is the way he hits on her. It's, I guess, presumptuous, you know, like he just... The way an overconfident, cocky guy would, though. Yeah, yeah so he's going to build... He's acting her... like it's already in the bag. Right. He's going to build her a dragon pit, and so she gets the hell out of there. <laughs> and, it's, you know, he pours his wine out, so I guess he was only <laughs> drinking for that, that occasion, but it was just a funny scene, well, well put together, and... I did think it was funny that this is another set of uh, twins in the fa- the Lannister family, although completely different. So Jamie and Cersei were clearly fraternal twins, and these are identical twins. It's not necessarily a hereditary thing at all with this, but how often do we see twins within this whole universe? And, and here we are seeing again within the Lannister family. And they're, it's played by the same actor, and it shows them together at a, at a table, and they have different haircuts. So it's just kind of... Uh, cool yeah and, and and just even there like one looks more lannister jason than the other one which is interesting um just in terms of coloring and stuff yeah. but it did get me thinking a little bit so clearly jason is head of the house so he's the elder twin and is this a great way to exemplify how first and second born sons can develop based on how they're treated of birth order because we've got identical twins here and yet they are very different and don't get me wrong identical twins can have their own very separate different personalities um, but i i really think that these differences are probably uh, there's a lot of nurture involved of what made them so different so the cockiness is essentially because he's first born and how he's been doted and treated probably the other lannister would probably be a powerful choice too but he's not even in the discussion it shows us here as with uh like what happens with Viserys like originally his heir is is Damon and then he has to make a big move to change it there's this assumption though always that either a certain family or, or a certain line like firstborn and I get that you have to come up with a system in some at some point for uh the line of succession but just because you're the firstborn son doesn't mean you're the most well suited for the throne and and what a bummer if someone else who's better or head of house or any of these things if you're missing out on someone who's much better just because well in game of thrones is or a song of ice and fire is steeped with little brother syndrome you know all these little brothers feeling slighted all the time 
Well, even in Essos, there's a whole army of people called the Second Sons. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> right. All right. Then, yeah, Rhaenyra, you know, comes in and starts arguing with Viserys in the middle of the party. And Viserys argues back. So they are, they're not doing the kosher thing and taking it in private or whatever. He's, he's bringing up again duty and tradition and how she has to marry. And, you know, for the sake of the show, they, of course, in real life, <laughs> this would have been discussed you know, before it wouldn't all be thrown into place right now, but it does make for some good drama and some good family dynamics. But it also is again showing this theme of avoidance of the series doing what needs to be done. Well, he so, does say that he tried to discuss it with her before. Yeah, but he's king. He could have tried harder. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I think she continually blows him off. I mean, she did say, "I don't want to get married," so I think she's avoiding this as much as. Did remind me quite knows. a bit of Arya. And then Otto wisely interrupts. You know, as the yeah. young, you know, the young starts getting old. It's uh, one time where I'm like, yep, Otto, do your job. Yeah. <laughs> so he interrupts and he brings up uh, that they found a white heart. So I looked this up. I was not very familiar with the relevance of a white heart and whatever. Well, and they do say in this episode what a big deal it is. Right. So later on it's also said, and I think they're doing it for the audience's benefit because why the series is only figuring this out now after ruling as many years. But so... They talk about what a big deal this is, in, in at least in this um, universe, it, it symbolizes royalty. It's a, it's. Well, I'm gonna read the Wikipedia real quick. Uh, so, white heart heart is another name for a deer. White deer holds. Stag. Uh, yeah, white deer hold place in traditions of many cultures. They are considered to be messengers from the other world in some Celtic mythology. They also played an important role in pre-Indo-European cultures, especially in the north. The Celts believe that the white stag would appear when one is transgressing a ta- transgressing a taboo. Such as blah blah blah. I'll give some examples. Arthurian legend states that the creature has a perennial ability to evade capture, and that the pursuit of the animal represents mankind's spiritual quest. It also signals blah 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 blah. And so yeah, white heart heart H A R T is the name of a stag. Or um, so yeah, and the, the spiritual element. And we see later that Viserys is a little bit prone to. You know, myth and yeah. uh, dreaming. We'll talk about that later when we get to it. But, um, you know, you'd think, since I'm kind of a fan of the Baratheons, I would have put together why Stannis had a heart on his flag a little bit earlier. Because <laughs> he's not the most loving guy. <laughs> but yeah, so Renera runs off. Um, she takes off on the horse and Chris and Cole's like, oh shit. <laughs> he chases her. But he was like standing outside and then she huffs and puffs out and then he sees her and he's like, oh shit, I better go. But yeah. it's not like he was following her like he was her detail. Yeah, so he seems to be her bodyguard, but they're, they don't always show that exactly. Um, but she takes off. I like the filming of this chase here and I thought that the stunts and the horse, whatever, just did a good job. <laughs> You're giving praise to the horses? The horses, they did. Yeah, they they whatever the horse actors they're trained you know they come yeah. from a horse acting school uh, <laughs> but it was it was just good camera work here it, it was probably filmed with like a drone or whatever uh camera up above them through the trees and stuff look good but yeah so they're they're he takes off and she's kind of complaining which i don't blame her but then he reminds her like a lot of people would trade places with you yeah as hard as your life is it's way harder out there this is another, like, they did a nice job uh, showing us without it, you know, having to have it be in your face that in this time jump that's happened here, how familiar they are with one another. There were several ways in which this was shown that these two have spent a lot of time with each other. There's a closeness here. They like each other. 
And even in the way that he offers to, <laughs> to kill Jason Lannister. Yeah. <laughs> Do right. you want me to kill him? <laughs> right. They both understood that it was a joke, but you almost, you almost wonder. You almost wonder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, is, is there a double entendre here for a couple different reasons? Yeah. So I suppose we'll see because I don't know and you do. And then she also, or he also reminds her that, you know, he was, um, I, I don't know what the term would be, a small, small folk and yeah. until she raised him up higher small than Small potatoes. Any, yeah. Well, yeah. Higher than any coal had ever been raised up to. So not but this only, is an example of where he had to earn that. Yes. Right. He, he was able to earn that through merit. Um, but it's still arbitrary. It's still her choosing. Oh, yeah. Um, but so he reminds her that life isn't so bad for her and she is not toothless, as he put it. She, she feels powerless, but he's reminding her she's not powerless. And, and the consequences of a decision that she kind of made quickly that even though like it made sense she did what she did, but that for him and his family's honor, it carries and reverberates you know, throughout their probably family history for a long time because... It was no small thing that she did for them, even though it might have been small to her to make that decision. 200 centuries from now, somebody might be saying, my ancestor was a member of the King's Guard." Right. Not that many people ever serve on the King's Guard. Right. So then we go back to um, Otto talking to Viserys, and he's, he's kind of laying it on thick with how it's a sign uh, that they found this white heart, and he's, he's going into Viserys' superstition a little bit. And... This is probably him trying to get him to name Aegon as the heir. Is that, oh, look at, look at this sign that we found a, a white heart and we're going to catch it. It's, you know. I, I totally I, took it that way. Yeah. I thought he was laying it on thick about, oh, of all days and this. Like, he is really laid on thick of, like, Aegon is, this is the universe. How can you go against the universe? Right. And then Vis, uh, Viserys. <laughs> <laughs> I always have in my notes just the letter V when I'm talking about him. Viserys starts drinking at this point. Um, there, you know, the party's going on or whatever, and he just sits down on the throne and pours himself some wine, and will continue to do so for. Well, in, in that moment when you're already agitated, what's one of the most annoying things in the world? Jason Lannister coming up right. and talking to you again, and yeah, and so. But this is really the moment though where Viserys can't be as or I mean I guess he could but it would take so much extra effort where it's literally said to his face that the realm all believes that Aegon's the heir and have believed this for a while and so everything that Rhaenyra has been throwing back in his face during this day this time all this time and and how he's been pretty blind to not be more on top of this right everything Jason says is valid you almost feel bad that he has to be the messenger that. No, I don't feel bad because he was <laughs> yeah. so conceited. Right. He thought he could just waltz up and talk to the king like that yeah. and say things like that without realizing he might be overstepping. He should have felt the put out some feelers, got the temperature of the water a little bit more there. I think this is my favorite scene in all three episodes, and it's because of the series acting. Patty, whatever his name is, it was just it was just so fun to watch. You know, him arguing with him, him being drunk, his facial expressions. Well, and even being drunk and kind of the, the repartee that they have, because Jason does come back with, like, if someone offered you more dragons. Right, um, yeah. Do you have more dragons? <laughs> Such a stupid thing of him to say. Um, I mean, it's a good point that in, in the sense that we're powerful, but... And I think that, it's Patty Considine. Yeah, he's great. I mean, everything Jason says, they're all good points, but the implication of them is all bad like do you have more dragons and he says you'd be marrying strength and he says do you think house targaryen wants for strength so he's like 
he doesn't realize how he's undercutting himself in this discussion. And Viserys is just doesn't feel like playing politics and smiling at this well, point. Well, it's not even just playing politics. It's putting up with a narcissist right. and, and refusing to be the mirror for him here. <laughs> I, I guess, I mean, he doesn't feel like keeping up the facade mm-hmm. when, I, when I say playing politics. I have a feeling a lot of kings feel this way at some point. And part of your job when approaching the king is to know when to not do that. Yeah. Yeah, well, his pride has pride. And that is, of course, you know, double meaning. Lion pride. Uh, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, so then Otto starts talking to Viserys. And Viserys makes it clear that he doesn't want to command Renera to get married. But Otto suggests to Aegon. And again, Viserys' reaction is just fun to watch. He just starts laughing. I, you know. I, I enjoyed that, but I was surprised because he's laughing the way the rest of us do about this kind of incest stuff. Like, are you crazy? But yet, that I'm thinking of it from like like keeping it in the family sort of way, but I think he was saying that because of Aegon's uh, age. Yeah, he says he's two years old, Otto. <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, we saw last episode that he rejected Lena because she was 12. That's not the only reason, of course, he was falling for Alicent, but it's, uh, he doesn't seem to be down with this whole big age gap thing. I think because he also thinks it's, abs- it's absurd knowing who Rhaenyra is. Like, it's yeah, just... can you imagine being 17 and having betrothed to your two-year-old brother, oh, half-brother, yeah. and having to wait? Like, she'd have to wait 13 more years until uh, and she's going to be 30 or whatever at that point. To try to get pregnant by him, like it's a stupid suggestion by Otto. It's ridiculous. Well, it, it's it's stupid in terms of how realistic it is, but I, it, it's actually incredibly smart. If what's his end goal, and right, he if it works. wants his line. So this is his grandson. He wants his line on the throne. That's the end goal, no matter what. Here, and that would ensure it. And so that takes care of everything, like Rhaenyra being named heir and all of that. Like, and it also gets everyone to back off. So in that sense, it, 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 it meets Otto's objectives, but nobody else's. Yeah. And, I mean, well, it also does make sense for the realm. Closer to home. You know. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he said. Pick, oh, let's yeah. pick someone closer <laughs> yeah. to home. It is the home. <laughs> and it does make sense for the, um, for the realm. Like, it's, it's not a bad match, except for that it's absurd. Yeah, it was just, it was funny watching the series just laugh. Yeah. He, that, he, he's, there's no comportment at this point. He's just letting it all hang out there of his feelings and yeah. he just starts laughing. And I kind of liked it because sometimes I think Otto deserves that response to some of the stuff that he's saying. And he slinks away wisely. Um, <laughs> slinks you know, away. We'll talk about it no more. Um, <laughs> but then Strong comes up. Uh, what's his first name again? So the club foot is Laurie Strong. Lionel Strong. Lionel Strong. So Lionel Strong comes up and uh, Viserys is being cynical and he's letting his cynicism show and I don't blame him at all. It's also a vulnerable point. He's saying, what kind of king am I? And that is not something that <laughs> current kings do just out in the open like that. That is something you do to your partner behind closed doors kind of thing. But he's just letting it all hang out here. And it's a moment that like if this was Otto, they, they would have messed with that wound to their own advantage. So there were several moments here of as of right now, my opinion of Lord Strong is, as being on the council, but also like for his role, but also just as like a man of honor. I like him. I liked him first when he advised about that Viserys should marry uh, Ella for the realm. Like that was really good counsel then. But here again, 
And it starts off with, you know, Viserys having this vulnerable moment saying, what kind of king am I? I can't even control. And his first response was about the king before who, like, was yeah, it Jaehaerys? his daughters. Who had the best yeah. reign, and yet his daughters drove him to, like, the brink of madness. Right. And, and he goes, especially his daughters. It's a it's tradition. tradition. Yeah. I remember saying to you, I was like, if like that's the best response he could have given yeah. to that. Which means he's genuinely trying to help the king here and not take advantage of his vulnerability. But he's also saying that this is how it is. You, you know, like this, he's normalizing it for him. And so I, I liked that. So we, we learn here, though, that he's still on Team Sea Snake because now he's going for the other kid. Right. Uh, of uh, the Valerian clan here of Laner and right. saying he would be a great potential person for Rhaenyra to be, to be betrothed to and accomplish all the same goals. This is basically a second chance and it could do a lot of healing here. Right, yeah. Since the first one didn't work out, it's almost like this one is even more important and more necessary, assuming that Valerian survives. I also thought it was... A little sneaky, but but cleverly done when he goes, we, we really must pray that Laner survives. Because right. what he's now doing is he's nudging, you better do something about this. And not just so you can have a potential betrothal, but I think he's also saying, I think you need to do something about this without overstepping. So now here's a question. Is, is Lionel Strong truly a good advisor and a trusted fellow, or is he just by far the best player of the game right now? I would like to say the former. I would like to say that we've got some Ned Starks who actually just do the right thing, who put a lot of stock into certain principles of loyalty and respect. And, and if you are given a, a seat of power by being a head of a house or in royalty, that, that you don't just take advantage of it. But as we're often shown over and over again, and as I think is often human nature, is, is power can be corrupting. And a lot of times people end up going after their own ends and means. Well, now, who would Strong be playing against? He'd be playing against Otto. I was going to say Otto. Yeah. I, I think that there is a piece here. They're both on the small council. Um, they both are more subtle in their ways of interacting with the king and trying to achieve ends but we we are getting the impression though that the show is going out of the way to show us or for us to hear about his sons uh to right. me they, so they for showed example, the clubfoot and they brought up break bones his strong son yeah which, and wasn't which, he in the tourney too or did i miss that uh i don't know but we will see him later okay um which oh, I'll, okay I'll, so uh, yeah. um, <laughs> this, this is significant i mean we see him this episode oh, okay. but a lot of people don't know that but i'll point it out when um, um but the right and then Viserys he can he considers this you can see his ex facial expression change like oh this is a good point and then when he walks off the seat he does the old manly shoulder tap he touches him and I, I remember when we were watching and I asked I was like wait a minute did he just do that because that shows here though that to me that was a physical thank you yeah thank you for giving this to me deliver it in a way that doesn't annoy me or makes it difficult for me to take you seriously. So Jason annoyed him. Otto was difficult to take seriously. And, and he, he didn't overstep. And so you can see that there's an appreciation in that quick exchange here. Yeah. But it does make you wonder a little bit if his uh, son who joined the, the ladies picked up on some of that dissent about how the war is being handled and then goes back and reports to his dad. And now his dad is saying something about the war without undermining the series. 
So it just does make you wonder a little bit if that's all connected. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. And I will say that that shoulder tap, pat on the back thing, <laughs> that's how I do like 60% of my communicating. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, people really think that's their marriage. <laughs> no, but not, not with you. Not, it's a... It's a it's a male thing with my jujitsu yeah. students, with my my sons. You know, that's like how I say good job or I'm proud of you or whatever without saying it. It is funny though because I can recall my father being like that with his kids. Um, I remember I can. It's like I feel like I can picture that uh, with my brothers. I'm trying to see remember in my mind here if it, if he did it with me, but I think I got a hug. <laughs> yeah, it's it's different. All right, then we get um. Renera and Kristen Cole get by the campfire, talking kind of casually. Which, quickly here, this stood out to me so much the first time we watched it. Nobody is looking for them. I, I think that is a really big piece here. Like, nobody, the, the series doesn't notice that she's gone that no, long. No, he does. Or... Somebody says, um, we, we assume that Kristen Cole is with the princess. Right, so. but the fact that they still haven't come back yet, and it's been hours. They spend all night. They're gone for like a day. Right. And I just find that, like, if she's that important, you know, for Viserys to get that upset when she went off to Dragonstone last episode, if she's that important, she's only got one Kingsguard and the risk of assassination or, or wild boars just coming out of the brush. Like, I just found that funny that there wasn't more of a... Well, do you remember Reaction. the giant search party when one of, um, in Game of Thrones, who disappeared? Was it Arya? Arya, yeah. yeah and they, everybody was looking for her. But Arya was a lot younger than Rhaenyra. And they, they did explicitly mention that they think that Kristen Cole's with her, so. But they didn't even know. It's, uh, we, right. we assume. And I just, I thought that was interesting. But yeah, so they're talking and she's looking at him, perhaps trying to decide what is comfortable to say or per- perhaps just feeling her age, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> well, I think he's feeling his age too. Yeah. That is tough. Um, I mean, there are some nights under no circumstances do you take off your armor in that way. This this is another yeah, way to show us comfortable. the familiarity that they have with one another. Because um, I think that's actually... It's it's like a woman showing her ankle right. in, in Regency era times. <laughs> Yeah, and then he unsheathes his sword. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I think before we get to it, this is the second time today where I'm just not expecting you to say that. No one can see your face when you said it, so it's probably what you think it looks like, everybody. <laughs> um, but she asks him, will they ever accept me as queen? Oh, yeah. And he says they must. But what I appreciate here is you can see her deliberating if she's going to ask it. And then she asks it and he's looking her in the eye and then he looks away and looks down and he thinks about it. So he didn't immediately just maintain eye contact. He was like, yes, absolutely, your grace. He he stops and thinks about it, which I think shows to her and to us that he's trying to give the most authentic answer without being just a, a, a lackey but also honest. And, and I, I thought his response was a pretty good one given the situation he's in and the truth of it all. And right. he said what else could he say? He, he, he's, he'll have no choice. Yeah, he didn't really... That's not really saying much. It's... But what else... What could he say? Right. Um, yeah. Well, he could have lied. Yeah. But he didn't. And right. again, I think that speaks to the closeness here. Is he didn't want to lie to her, but he also didn't want to take away hope. 
<laughs> the boar attacks. This, I thought he was going to be gravely injured. Yeah, I know. You had to be reminded of Robert here several, yeah. several times. The, there's a lot of Baratheon slash Robert slash stuff in this episode. But <laughs> the sound editing was strange on this attack. Like, you, you should watch it again. But the, the boar hits him. He goes flying through the air. And then you hear, <laughs> he hears, hey. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, didn't notice. It's, he doesn't say, it's, it's strange. We'll just have to watch it again. But, but anyways, so he gets plowed over by this boar, does not get injured. Um, and then the boar goes after Rhaenyra. Cole saves her, but then she lets out some aggression. And So he, he puts in the killing, well, he, he starts the killing blow, I guess, which gets her off. But like with any other like show or movie or something with the bad guys, I mean, you always make sure that they're dead and he didn't. And so the boar does get back up again. Yeah. And then that's where we see Renera completely snap. She's been holding <clears throat> a lot of pent up anger and frustration. That's something that's been brought up several times in this episode is she has been so angry. Yeah. I like the, the filming again here when um, Cole stabs the boar. She gets splattered with blood. It almost looks like the boar did it to her. And usually like those kind of fake out blood shots are kind of dumb, but I thought this was good. And then, yeah, she... she Very Carrie-esque. She goes ham on the boar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had some coffee this morning. <laughs> yeah, it's the coffee. <laughs> uh, oh, right. Then we go to the, the big bonfire. V is still drinking. Which, really quick here, I commented to... Viserys is still drinking. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the big V. Yeah. Um, but uh, several times in this episode... I really appreciate it. There was a lot of literal fire and blood. Yeah. Yes, there was. And it looked good. Yeah. Yeah. This big bonfire looked real nice. So they cut from all this blood and, and this very bloody scene literally to this big bonfire. Yeah. So it's not like they're just showing us blood and fire at different times. They're often doing it very close to one another. And this was a great scene. This, this dialogue, <clears throat> we see that Viserys, he's really leaned into these dreaming prophecy power that I guess Targaryens sometimes have and he had this one dream about uh, the sun with the crown and he says he's been I don't remember said but he's been chasing this dream ever since or trying to will this this dream to either happen again or into existence or whatever well and it's funny though because I don't know in terms of like terminology here when they talk about dreamers they're talking about prophets and people who can and t basically kind of tell the future and and uh, have prophecies and yet a lot of times you could think they just have a dream and they want to think like a lot of times when any old human has a dream so a lot of times you think he just has this dream where here he's actually talking about because the whole song of ice of fire is right. from another targaryen and this is a prophecy right we didn't get in game of thrones as much that daenerys had prophecy dreams she was shown prophecy but it was always like an outside circumstance that that brought it into her like the house of the undying and things like that but apparently and I feel bad having read all these books, and I'm still unclear about this, but apparently the Targaryens have some kind of potential power here. Yeah. Because just like you said, right, the Song of Ice and Fire, Aegon the first apparently conquered Westeros because of this dream he had about the White Walker or the threat from the north, whatever. So he's, Viserys is leaning into this, and he thinks it's more powerful than dragons or more apart, because he's not a big dragon rider. Um, so this well, is it, like... Well, it appears he's given it up. 
Right. Yeah. After Blarian died, but he even says like he hasn't written in a long time. They don't like, or they mentioned the dragon smell several times in the first episode. So it seems to me that his Targaryen identity is more caught up in this dream prophecy thing than in being a dragon rider. Well, and he even kind of says, what, what is this ability compared to that of being able to have the, the gift of prophecy? And so it makes you wonder as an audience, is this just because he wants it so much or because he actually has it? It's hard to know here right. of his dream. And he doesn't know. That's why he's struggling so much here. He doesn't know how to interpret his dreams. And he's struggling over um, his son and his daughter and the succession and the, the white hearts and yada, yada. All these things are coming together for him. Now, Alicent, the, the true MVP here, <clears throat> throughout this discussion, she, she refers to him three times. At first, she says, my love. As he descends a little further, she says, husband. And then later in the conversation, she calls him Viserys. So she is very good at knowing what he needs. And also, these could just be genuine reactions by her, but it's, um, she doesn't say Viserys, 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 or my love, my love, my love. She's changing how she's talking based on what he's going through. And it was just good writing. She's good. Her and Lionel Strong got to be the best. I don't want to say players because she might not be playing anything. She's just good at being a wife to him. Yeah, and I, I, I think she cares. Like, that's something that we've been talking about uh, in these other episodes, is how much of this is kind of, like, cagey, and, and how much of it is just genuine. And I think she loves Viserys. I think she genuinely cares about him and can see that he's struggling, and it really bothers him. I mean, even in the beginning of the episode, where she's trying to get Rhaenyra to join, and, and Rhaenyra's like, oh, is it a command? And she's like, yes, but it doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. She She's making an effort to try to still have a relationship with Rhaenyra. Oh, I, <laughs> I forgot to say this earlier, but the scenes where he's drinking at the party, and it shows her two or three times watching everything. So she's watching him, she's watching what's going on. It just quickly cuts to her, and she's not lost in conversation, you know, blabbing with people. She's actively watching what's happening at the party. Mm -hmm. So she can, she's a good reader of situations. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think it, it's kind of the symbolism of Tywin and Otto also of when people choose not to drink. Um, so like it, it's a, them showing, I want to have my wits about me. I want to pay attention here. And I think that Allison so far is very much trying to do that, but she's doing it, I think, to manage all these people. Right. And she's good at it. I think the biggest thing to take away from this scene, though, is that we do actually see Viserys waver. That he might actually go against what he said for Rhaenyra and all of that. And, and it just kind of shows that there was some fallibility here. So he might choose Aegon because of this dream prophecy thing. And the realm is expecting And the realm, to... yeah. Yeah. Because he, he's constantly kind of complaining about how he's... We've talked about how it seemed like he took the mantle of becoming king, not because he wanted it. He's doing his duty. He's got some of that Dan Stannis thing here of do your duty and, uh, you know, having to marry again so quickly and, you know, how he points out, like, even I am not above uh, these expectations. And so it, it says something, though, because in a way it feels a bit of a betrayal to Rhaenyra here. And so that's where part of me, when we were talking about that petulance, She's not wrong. Well, the next scene clears all that up, at least in Viserys' mind. Poor guy has been punished by the gods, and he is extremely hungover. 
I was, it's actually in my note. I was like, uh, it was really hard to watch that scene of him killing the heart because it's not a hunt. It's tied up and he just comes in and stabs it and then he's got to stab it again. So it's yeah. suffering. And I was like, uh, oh God, that just is rough. And then I was like, oh, it must be so hard when you're that hungover yeah. too. It's called over to the hunter, whatever. They caught the heart, but it's a brown heart. And I think this is where Otto's laying it on thick backfires. You can see in Otto's face that he looks like disappointed. Mm-hmm. So, and this is where Viserys makes his decision, I because think. Because everybody in that, that hunting party is there and they see that it's a brown, right. a brown stag. And this is where... I and think... it wasn't a boar. So in the beginning, when they're in the carriage, he's like why don't you come to the hunt with me to Renera? And she's like, I hate the way that the boars scream. Oh. Um, so my impression was that these hunts are to get a boar. And of course it's a boar that killed Robert. Um, so, and they, he was hunting for boar when it killed Robert. But they, they, at least here, we know that the hunt is supposed to be for a boar. And I'm purposely saying this because now they've got this tied up stag. It's not a boar, but someone does end up killing a boar and bringing it back. Yeah, so the boar heart slash trade-off happens in a few different ways. So like you said, Ranieri says, I don't like the sound of the boar. It sounds like a baby, whatever. And then we find out that a white heart has been found. So that's what they're hunting now. But then Ranieri kills a boar and finds the white heart while Viserys has this brown heart. Uh, or, yeah, I guess it's still be called They, they ditched the boar hunt <clears throat> for this white heart, but then they don't find it. And it ends up being... A regular stag and you know in terms of someone who's looking for symbolism and stuff this this might be a sign for Viserys here what's important to note though is only two people see this white heart so it's it, it's just their word against everyone else's right I assume Otto wouldn't have put it out there if there wasn't actually one out there I did wonder that this is I mean Otto fucked up here this is such a backfire they better find that white heart if he's going to try to say that that's a sign from the gods about Aegon. Uh, but uh, yeah, this, this scene was just painful to watch on so many levels. Like, you do sympathize with Viserys for being hung over because we've been there before and it sucks to do anything, right? So he's, he's struggling. This poor stag is tied up. It's so helpless. It's such a farce. It's not a hunt. Well, and it's such a majestic, large creature to go out like that. I don't know. It just... I, it's cringy to me. Yeah, certainly for modern viewers, it's painful to watch. Now, the hunts, I don't know how much... Like, in Game of Thrones, Robert is clearly out hunting. He wants to kill the thing. He's walking through. Apparently, George R. R. Martin did not like the way that was done, which I didn't read the article. I just saw a headline that, that GRM didn't like Robert's hunting scene. Maybe just because it was like six dudes walking around. It was like Robert and Renly and Barristan, and they're talking... Whereas maybe he envisioned something much bigger like this. But for our point here, the differences are stark. Whereas Robert got killed by the boar, but he was out there to get down and dirty and fight. And this whole thing with Viserys is just so fake. It's so Common set up. Circumstance, right. Yeah. There's, there's no hunt on his part. And then part. they're all clapping like he did this amazing hunt thing. Like it, there was so much like yeah elements of that throughout like all these clapping moments where it's just and it's not like he liked it it sucked for him too you know he killed this thing the he missed the first time or didn't you know kill it accurately he's instructed how to do it the second time that terrible sound that the animal makes and the look on his face just the whole thing sucked it it sucked for for him for us 
for the <laughs> animal. I was thinking about that one guy, like who points out like just right over here your grace like in his head he's probably like when should i say something right. now a little bit little bit wait <laughs> could you imagine if that were damon and he had to point it out like he that would be terrifying <laughs> but um also just shout out to the music here that was really good if you watch it closely the music gets louder as he has to kill this thing and it gets eerier and it's just uncomfortable and they, they did a very good job with that the very next scene Renera and cole see the white heart which is um even more majestic and beautiful. I don't know why Cole drew his sword or what exactly he was thinking well, of doing Well, I mean, there. one, they just got attacked by an animal. <laughs> right. So maybe there's that. Also, I don't know if they're both aware of it, but it's the White Heart. If they came back with the White Heart, that could really solidify her claim in some ways of all the symbolism and what it could mean to a lot of the people. So maybe... You know, like I, I, yeah, I could maybe see. Maybe he's going to do her a favor by <laughs> taking it down and letting her drag it back. Well, and I wish we knew if Rhaenyra knew what it, what the significance of the the White Heart, because it, it was clearly explained in a series as if he didn't know in this episode. So maybe she doesn't know either. Right. Um, but if she did know, because it, it makes her saying no, leave it that much more powerful if she did know. Yeah, exactly. She doesn't need to prove, or she doesn't feel the need to kill it to show the omens or whatever. <clears throat> I like the stretcher that the boar, because clearly someone had to make that yeah. to bring it back. And that's going to take some time and patience. Okay. Which Kristen Cole, he's a warrior <laughs> and, and very a handyman. Handy. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they bring it in, and I loved how they filmed this, because they do these shots at all these different people, but the shots of what their faces would look like if you, you were the one walking by them. So it gives you kind of this... Uh, moving as they, they stay still and I just they did it with all these different people um, and I just really like that shot right. she wasn't noticed in the beginning but she's certainly noticed now <clears throat> and you know who really notices her is Lionel Strong's son he was who laughs. He's, he's the handsome guy with the big smile on his face yeah um, break bones <clears throat> um, yeah so yeah that was it that was a good scene it told us a lot without verbally telling us anything just going back, um, talking about this white heart with Renera, that scene, it did make me wonder, what is the show trying to tell us? I feel like they're really trying to get us on board to really like Renera as queen. Like, they're, they're now, it's almost like the, the showrunners are picking sides. So the prophecy is for us, the viewers, to interpret it that way. Right. And so I wanted to ask you, is this in the book where she sees the white heart? Because if it's not, then I feel like the showrunners are making a point to show us something about Renera and her being royalty and the the way they go out of their way to explain so much in this episode. But if it's not if it is in the books, then okay, they're just following their source material. I have no recollection of this being in the book. Okay. Um doesn't, is... doesn't mean it's not there. My brain can only <laughs> hold so much. Just to remind listeners, the book is very different from a song of Ice and Fire books. It is told from a very wide lens, like a history book. So 90% of this fleshing out of characters, I don't, we don't see as book readers. We just know uh, basically what happens in broad strokes. Because mm -hmm. as an audience member, I feel like this shows how they're trying to say, like, root for Rhaenyra to be queen. Right. All right, then we cut over to Otto talking to Alicent. 
he refers to Aegon as his grandchild. Mm -hmm. So that's, I guess, kind of a self-centered way of, of saying things. Mm -hmm. And he is encouraging her to guide Viserys into naming Aegon the heir. He says to, like, he, he's using Allison again as this chess piece to move around. And he's basically saying, Viserys won't get there on his own. You'll have to change his mind. So he's clearly not taking into consideration Viserys' wishes here. Um, but then his daughter's wishes were, she, re like, responds back and says, you want me to raise my own son to take away his sister's claim? Like, yeah, her birthright. You, right. Now she's, but she's talking about her own experience parenting her son here. Which, you know, like, again, Otto's not considering any of this. She um, also says that Rhaenyra would be a good queen. Mm -hmm. And she's smart. The, the second time yeah. this episode. And she's smart the way that he says, oh, don't you want him to grow up to be king? And she doesn't say yes, but she says, what mother wouldn't? Which is just a little bit more ambiguous way of handling the situation. It's, it's how Chris and Cole responded to Rhaenyra. And, and again, it's showing these people who are willing to take a little bit of time to figure out an authentic but caring response. Now, Otto does, of course, have a good point here. doesn't matter how good of a queen she would be. The realm expects it, and if this doesn't happen, there's conflict ahead. We have yet to see if that's going to play out in this story, but... Then Allison has her own version of there'll be conflict because you swore fealty to her. All the other houses swore fealty. Right, but if the king were to change who is heir, yeah. they could all just be like, well, now we've, you know, they have an out without having to break their vows. And, you know, sometimes it's just it's a complicated situation. It doesn't mean that anyone's necessarily being bad or good or whatever. Like, Otto obviously has his own motives, but it's a dangerous spot that they're in. And then Alessandra meets with the series. And what I really liked about this scene is that they talk about a lot of things, but they do not talk about that. So she doesn't try to convince him, at least not in this scene, to, to name her son. Now, it goes off in a different direction because she sees the letter from Corliss's brother and they start talking about the war or whatever. Which but shows something about, it reminded me a lot of Ned Stark and Kat, of how close they were, how much they talked about things. Because she comes in, she sees this communication, she asks to see it, and he very quickly says, hey, have at it, and reads it. So it shows the level of trust, the level of respect that he has for her and what she might be able to offer like, it, it says a lot about their relationship, that, that piece, because especially in this universe, you rarely see women given the opportunity to be at the, the grown-up's table in this respect. Yeah, and the, the conversation, so they do talk about Renera, and Alicent says that she must believe that it's her choice of who she marries. So that's telling because she doesn't say it must be her choice. She says she must believe it's her choice. Mm -hmm. um, but that's in marriage. They don't talk about naming Aegon the heir, which was the way they cut it right from Otto saying, go convince him that Aegon should be the heir. And then the very next scene they're talking, but she doesn't try to do that. I liked. We also see for the first time, I believe this episode, that Viserys does not have his glove on. And he has lost two fingers now. Yeah. So I, I, the way I have it written down here is the rot of ruling continues. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have a glove when he smells the heart shit. <laughs> but I don't know if we see the fingers or if that's with a different hand. But in this one, it's you, you clearly see that the fingers are missing. But yeah, so we, we see that Vaemon Valerian has asked for help. So Corliss has not asked for help. And Damon obviously has not and would not ask for help. But Corliss's brother is, is calling for help. The battle's not going well. Do we know which brother this is in that family? You mean older or younger? Mm -hmm. 
I believe younger. I mean, Corliss is the head of the house, so I don't know. But but Corliss puts him in his place later. He says, "You you cannot uh, promote mutiny in my camp, uh, blood or no blood." So Corliss is the leader here, regardless of who's the older brother. Viserys is struggling over whether or not to support Damon with this letter. He's it's come up a few times in this episode. Oh, if you support him, you'll be weak. Blah blah blah. Now we'll say in the book, he supports him throughout, and the way he supports him is with gold, not with soldiers. Uh, but as far as we can tell from the book, there was never this choice that he had to make over looking weak and blah, blah, blah. Okay. But Alicent uh, wisely frames it as, well, what's good for the realm? It's, it's not what's good for you, what's good for Damon, blah, 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 blah. It's what's good for the realm. So this is where she's taking more of the Lord Strong than, than Hightower, her father. Um, but she she's doing more of the counseling rather than uh, the manipulation. And it's good advice, like we talked about before. He has to intervene. How could he not? Well, but she finally asks the right question to get him to see a clear answer. Yeah. Yeah, and then Viserys meets with Rhaenyra. And this is probably the the most comfortable the two, after they talk a little bit, have been with each other since Viserys announces he's going to marry Alison. They have a good, good discussion, good heart-to-heart, and um, she's feeling upset in Teenage Rebellion because... She's going to be replaced, and everyone knows it. Viserys insists that she's not again, but he does admit that he wavered. And this episode really solidified his position and backfired on Otto. So he he's not going to rename her, he says. You're not going to be supplanted. So last episode, I remember saying that I thought that he would waver. Um, and now... I believe him that he's not going to after all this, that the wavering did happen and it's done and he's going to stick with Rhaenyra. But what I do think will happen is the rest of the realm will go still go that route, this In, is, including, I suspect, Aegon. This is a controversial decision. And, you know, Viserys is painted as <clears throat> someone who can be kind of pushed and pulled and manipulated. But twice now in three episodes, we've seen that he set his mind to marrying Alicent, even though it was perhaps not the best decision, at least for the realm. And, oh, and he owns it finally here. Yeah, right. She's like, well, why? how can you tell me to get married when you didn't get married for the best strategic? And he's like, fair enough. Yeah, like, <laughs> like he's saying, we need, like, it, it's, this is what we do is we marry for uh, advantage and potential power. And Renera's like, you didn't. And he said, you're right. But he's like... I'm going to leave it to you. You choose, but you need to strengthen your own claim and line to the throne. So he's basically telling her, I'm giving you the choice, but please choose someone that is going to make it easier for you to be the next ruler, strengthen your claim. But then the same thing he was saying is you got to have a line. This is a big thing that people want. They want you to have kids and successors so they don't have to be in this position that they've been in. So this means if she does what she's supposed to, there are certain people that are off the table. Like, Kristen Cole. Like her bodyguard. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, great scene. Now we cut over to, in my opinion, where an extremely strong episode starts to fall apart. And this is the battle scene, which probably a lot of people liked. But um, there's a number of problems with it that we talked about in our first impressions episode. And we can go over some of it here. Before the battle, so... There are some key things that I think are important here that I took from it. It's a short scene, but we see quite a lot happen in this short scene. Yes, so they move the story forward with this battle. They communicate all the things they need to communicate. It's just that they throw logic out the window to do that in a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but the scene opens up with we see a dragon blowing fire at the mountains and we see one of Valerian's ships getting cannoned from the mountains. So we see the battle from a distance, but we can see that the ships are vulnerable and that despite a dragon flying around, that's not the trump card that we all thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And then it, we find out that the dragon can't get to these guys while they're in the cave and kind of sort of makes sense. I mean, you brought up the good point of just why can't they starve them out if they have the navy well, and the dragons. there's precedent in Game of Thrones for this. That's right. Stannis and how he has his whole uh, the Onion Knight thing. Yes. Yeah, so when there's a siege, if enough time goes by, they're going to run out of food. So the Stepstones have been under siege for three years or whatever, and they're still somehow getting food. Crab Feeder is defeated. I first interpreted that as being the end of this story, but the Triarchy is a bigger thing. Mm-hmm. And the Triarchy is supporting this war, but this might not be all that there is to it. So... I guess the triarchy has somehow got their smugglers getting them food, or we, we got to make some assumptions here to, to make this story make sense. They could have shown us something. Though. Yeah. I was thinking about it more. I can handle some of these time jumps and stuff. It's just, you can't leave some big pieces like out. They can't be missing. And, and that's sometimes where you just need to have some other people who don't know anything about any of this story watch an episode and be like, wait, what? Yeah. And this is where we meet Leonor Valerian. So he's just grown up a little bit. Yep, yeah, he's he's a teenager, uh, I guess, and he's he's playing an active role in the planning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like, yeah, he he's got a big seat at that table. And he's he proposes the plan here very quickly that they ultimately follow. He says we need uh, an offer of flesh here to, to kind of draw them out of their caves. The way that happened was kind of dumb, but whatever. And he proposes Damon. At least I think he proposes Damon, which ultimately is what happens. I'm trying to remember, but I don't think he does. But then uh, the Corliss's brother, sorry, I forgot his name. Vaymond. He goes, only a madman would volunteer for that. And then we cut to Damon. And so I thought that was kind of funny. But at this meeting, before Damon shows up, we see a few things take place. We learn that things aren't going well. There's a lot of discontent and and loss of morale amongst uh, a lot of the soldiers. Um, you can really see it. Like, I remember thinking, like, the director must have said, okay, just look really downtrodden, everybody. Because yeah. everybody did not look... And not that they should, but, like, you could really notice it. Well, it's weird that they're having this, like, uh, um, small council meeting in front of all the soldiers. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... You shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And, and and for reasons of what happens here, but uh, Vayman, we learn, he is is basically doing full on out trying mutiny here. He is against Damon. Yeah. So that is something that we see here, which is a big move when that's half your your planning strategy attack, like everything that Corliss built here of coming to Damon and then Damon doing it. They have an alliance here. We're kind of led to believe. Then Vayman is coming in here and kind of crapping all over it. That's that's a big move without consulting your brother first in privacy. So we, we kind of see that, which I think is pretty telling. And then Corliss shuts him down, which I think he needs to. But Lenor supports Damon, which I think is also noteworthy here. Um, because he could just keep his mouth shut and not say anything. And nobody would think otherwise. But he goes out of his way to actually support Damon. So now we're seeing Corliss and his son... Kind of defend Damon at different times in these first three episodes, which maybe it's nothing, but I'm trying to look for any little piece here of anything that could be mean something. And then in an episode of pretty strong dialogue, Lanor gives the best line of the whole episode, and he calls Vayman the master of complaints. <laughs> <laughs> 
take some guts. <clears throat> yeah, right. That's his uncle. Um, you know, who's older, presumably more experienced. Blah blah blah. But so something to think about here is he actually acting like a petulant child, or is that actually I have enough power and authority to talk to you like that? I'm interpreting this as leadership skills on Leonardo's part. He's playing an oversized role for a teenager. Mm-hmm. We also see later that he's a dragon rider, so that gives him a lot of, a lot of power. But um, he was really hooting and hollering when he was on that dragon. Yeah. <laughs> the one other thing I liked in this scene is that Damon lands his dragon. He comes back. He looks, you know, he's been fighting, but they're still losing. He walks up the hill. They show him, and he doesn't say anything. So this is not a leader who can give inspirational speeches <laughs> or who can. You know, seize, seize the moment to reassure his troops. Like, it's not just that he's quiet. He's not like Stannis who says, let's take this city. And that's his, the limits of his motiva- motivational speaking. He does nothing to say. He's just a loser. You know, like he can't, he's losing the battle. His, his leadership skills are limited. He's, he's got nothing to offer here until <laughs> well and, and he feels that he yeah. feels i've got nothing to offer if i lose this and now time is of the essence because if the series help comes in i'll never be able to prove myself again and he doesn't know that the series help is on the way until these guys just walk up the mountain <laughs> hello <laughs> um, and they... i have an important message for you <laughs> right so they, he reads the letter, he loses his cool, he beats the shit out of the messenger, which is, of course, not cool. Viserys is going to help. He's a caring brother. Alessand set this up by saying, what's good for the realm? And then Viserys, that's, that's how Viserys got sold, but we do see that he's the caring older brother. He doesn't want him to lose. At least that's the way he's framing it in this letter. And Damon can't handle it because um, Damon's a loser. But this is where shit really goes off the rails. <laughs> Damon is now pumped. He goes well, out there. So when you're saying, because you just called him a loser twice, are you referring to the fact that he's losing in the battle or he's a loser as a person or he's a loser as a ruler or royal? Well, all of it up until this point. He messes up every episode. Um, he gives in to giving the, the egg back, which he never should have stolen in the first place. He gets kicked out of King's Landing. The, the only thing he's done successfully is kind of run the gold cloaks. <clears throat> but then he uses them to abuse the city. So he's just, he's just a dickhead and not very competent so far but mm-hmm. it's all about to change so he goes out there by himself he's the offering and he, you know he brings his valerian steel sword and he brings his sword and you know he acts very dishonorably here with the white flag and everything and desperate times call for desperate measures but that just goes to show that he's willing to play dirty, dirty. yep is this like where do i start <laughs> well i'm not going to complain too much we did a good job in our first episode of saying what was wrong here but we see the bad guy the crab feeder go out He's looking for dragons. He's looking over his shoulder. He's looking in the sky. Doesn't see any dragons. Okay. So now, Damon offers his sword. He offers the white flag. The crab feeder sends some people to go accept it. He starts, he pulls out his knife and he starts killing people. All right. I counted it. 16 people he kills (laughs) on this run. One of them with a flying kick. So (laughs) he just kicks him in the chest and the guy's down for the count. And then he's dodging a thousand arrows by running straight, so this didn't work out very well for Rick on Stark. Um, now, granted, they're coming at a different angle. You know, maybe Damon has been in the sky, so he knows the angles. Whatever, it's just stupid. Um, so he's running. He takes out six, <laughs> sixteen people. 
crab feeder keeps sending people out, keeps sending keeps people out. He keeps pricking his neck. Like, right, or, or which I liked. I thought that looked cool. The way he moved, he's got grayscale, apparently. He's all fucked up. Is it grayscale? Looks that way to me. But, you know, Damon's not afraid of touching it later. So, will this... What do you think? Is this going to be part of the story now that this guy is grayscale and Damon's carrying him around? Because I did notice Damon was not wearing a glove while he's dragging half his, half torso. his torso. Yeah. So I, I know in the book whether that's something happens or not, but what would you guess based on what they're showing us? Yes. I ain't saying nothing. So now Lanor attacks with the dragon once apparently everybody has come out of the caves to catch Damon. And like you said earlier, Lanor's having fun. This is a party to him. Um, the dragon looks great. This looks more like one of Danny's dragons. This is like a, mm-hmm. a scaly, mean-looking... Uh, Thicker. Yeah, right. Not, not yeah. as wiry and... Uh, right, it's not the blood worm like, uh, like yeah. Damon's is. Um, and Damon's dragon is not here to help, so that's a point you brought earlier. Yeah, so, where where is this dragon? He's taking a nap? Yeah, I mean, whether they need help or not... And like, or, I mean, how, how close is this uh, connection that they have? Right. Like, is it, is it 100 feet? Because the dragon's probably not that far away. But yet, totally gone. Damon does get injured here. I was thinking during this scene of, from a military strategy standpoint, when do you risk sending everyone out like that without just thinking what a boneheaded move? And, and what I was... the crab feeder? Yeah, and what I was trying to think here is... At this point, we have to, like, if we can kill Damon Targaryen, that would be a huge, huge win for our side and where we go. Um, but it's just, he, he's already looking in the sky for dragons, so he knows the trap, and he falls for it, and it's like... Yeah, I mean, this was me just trying to better understand this scene, because it just seems like such a stupid move. Yeah, well, again, this is a scene where they threw logic out the window in order to tell us things. So they tell us that Damon is turning stuff around when properly motivated, essentially. So they're... Eh, um. Yeah, this is rushed and not well done. Something that I thought a couple times here with these uh, Stepstone scenes is, what is the deal with... I know that the books had it one way where it's once and that's it, and yet the show did it where it's a recurring thing. But the immunity to fire for Targaryens. And also how immune are the dragons to fire. So first in the beginning of the episode where we see them like with their uh, fire bow and arrows. Like does it really have that much impact on a dragon? Like their scales are too thick. But does fire really hurt them? Because to blow it out like that. Like they're not melting their faces off or the inside of their mouths. So they can handle high heat. So I'm kind of curious about that but then i remember when damon's going in here part of me was expecting his bloodworm yeah or uh, his well, dragon uh caraxes to come and just spew fire on everybody but damon will survive the way that danny did when she brought her dragons to life and then that's how they get everyone they just needed all the army people out and that's how i honestly thought they were going to do it but then i was like oh i, think, I just i can't remember what the ability is i think that danny fireproof thing is showrunner nonsense i think it was them being a lazy way to get her out of the dothraki situation i don't recall from reading the books the, the targaryens being literally fireproof they, so my understanding and, and i would have to look this up is that it is from the books but it's a one and done so danny had it that one time to get her like in the books it, it happens that way because um, she is fireproof in the books when she gets her dragons yeah. 
Um, but but after that, it's done. I think George R. R. Martin said like it's just a one and done. But I remember in like I think it's the first episode of Game of Thrones when we're introduced to Danny. She likes the water scalding hot. So there is this whole thing of Targaryens being able to handle like high heat, and clearly the dragons have to. So that I just was wondering that throughout this episode because they keep using like fire arrows and stuff here and. How much damage does that really cause a Targaryen and a dragon? And I guess an excuse they could have for not having Damon's dragon there is that once the fight was going to break out, the indiscriminate, like, Laenor was riding a dragon, so perhaps he has a little more control over where the fire is going, whereas a dragon without a rider could just be blasting indiscriminately. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> but, <clears throat> yeah, crab feeder fell for it, and I mean, I guess... If we leave out the logic going out the window, I guess the actual filming and everything was okay, but I, I was underwhelmed by this action scene. I think it, it took a nine on a, an episode of a nine down to like a eight or a seven because of these this action scene. Because um, I, I thought that all the... I guess we're doing our rating now. <laughs> but I, I thought all the, the slow-moving parts of the episode, the talking and the politicking and the you know prophecy and all that stuff was really, really strong. And then this battle just kind of dropped it down a notch or two for me. So I guess I give the overall episode a seven, even though the good parts were extremely high. I mean, this is what's difficult with Game of Thrones and uh, House of the Dragon is even with how disappointed I was with the final season and, and even just kind of some of the rushing before the final season. It's just that's the biggest one of Game of Thrones for me is it's still a very high caliber show that's still better than most shows out there. Um, yeah, but, like, like you said last episode, I rate it against itself. I don't rate it against other shows. Because yeah. th- it's their fault for setting such a high bar that when they don't meet it, you, you can't but feel a little bit crappy about it, you know? Absolutely. And, and it's just so like, I'm kind of like, whenever I rate here, it's always being against itself. But with that, I'm at like a six. I, that's the highest I can go for this one. I... I I rated, I was really thinking about, maybe I was rating too high, the other two ones, but you just have to leave a lot of room for openers because there's so much to set in place and and convey without being too boring or overwhelming. And I I just really appreciate it. Again, I also really appreciate the costuming, um, the music, like there's so much that's well done here. And so I, I think I'll stick with my ratings of the first two here, but this one, I just... I was not, I was very underwhelmed by a lot of things here. There were moments I enjoyed, but moments aren't enough to get a higher rating from me. You, you, you gotta really bring it all together. And I had moments. Anything else you wanna say about this episode? Uh, I'll end again with there's a lot of fire and blood here. So I mentioned it before, but we end the episode with all the fire from the dragons. And then <laughs> we just see. Damon Targaryen covered in blood. What a just a, it was a kind of a cool epic way to end. Yeah, and in the book he does slay the crab feeder in single combat and he cuts off his head. If you made it this far, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna announce that we have our first sponsor. If you live in Chicago, you get 20% off your first purchase at Valco Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what a benevolent yeah. uh, and sponsor. I'm just going to wait for the new students to roll in. <laughs> do they Do they just need to mention this podcast? Yep. Just mention that you listen to our podcast and you get 20% off your first tuition payment. All right, everybody. Talk to you in a few days. <laughs>